and and as she's dying, Corbin's like, "Where are the stones?" Uh, and she's like, "She dot." She says something like, "They're inside of me, whatever," but like not explicitly. But then he, she says like the least confusing quiz ever. Like it's, it's supposed to be like a cryptic puzzle. Yeah. They're like, she's like, "They're in the most important." places person's belly tummy <laughs> or whatever and you're like it's supposed to be a thing that he figures out but you're like they're in her tummy like i, I got it I should have said we will record in the fifth element, the fourth element, the third element, the second element. That would have been a good bit. But I didn't. Ah, hello, and welcome to the 23rd episode of Partial Recall. Will this be our goat episode? And Shana Tova. You got it. Ah, because LeBron James is the greatest player of all time and he wears number 23. Yeah, that's exactly what I was referring to. Nobody else. Yes. Classic. You're such a big LeBron stand. Yeah, my favorite player. Yeah, we've been doing this for a year. Shana Tova to you and also to the podcast. Oh, yeah. It was a Shana Tova. It was a good year of a podcast. Next year in Jerusalem. And by Jerusalem, I mean way many more listeners. <laughs> uh, next year with a good internet connection and remembering to bring a microphone. Yeah, that's true also. Yeah. Apologies, I'm out of town. That's the equivalent. Did not bring anything with me. Okay, Yishai, why don't you tell new listeners who are starting off the year on a strong foot what this podcast is about? Uh, welcome, new listeners. Uh, this podcast is about uh, movies that we've seen as kids that we only sort of remember. So in the first half, we try to recreate the plot from memory, and then we break and watch the movie, and we come back to discuss what we got right, what we got wrong, and if the movie held up. Uh, and as we've been going along, we've also been deciding which of these movies that were important in our childhood should be important to our uh, children's childhood. <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, or children's hood. <laughs> children's hood. Um, okay, this is not important to new listeners, but I just want to say, according to english.stackexchange.com, uh, take a gander is defined as to make an attempt or venture a guess. Okay, here's another thing that's not going to be important to our new listeners. In the last episode, you identified yourself as George Washington, cannot tell a lie. And you also said that the tuxedo was Jackie Chan's best American movie. And so I'm like, here's Yishai. He doesn't lie. He said the tuxedo's great. Let me watch the tuxedo. I watched the tuxedo. That's the worst movie I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> you, I, I love that. Uh, we talk all the time in real life. But because now we have this podcast, you would do something like I have been holding on to that yes. for like three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I was so mad at you. <laughs> I stayed up until like one thirty in the morning watching this movie. <laughs> I was like, maybe it gets good or Jackie does something cool. In my defense, I said, I bet it's good. I didn't actually remember if it was good. That is so funny. It you it's like that It's the worst. Oh man. I'm so surprised by that. I mean, I'm not that surprised by that, but I, I thought it would be good. Let me see. What what is uh like Rotten Tomatoes or Metacritic say about the the Daniel Tomatoes is uh zero out of ten. 
It doesn't even have any good Jackie stuff. He plays like an incel <laughs> who starts working for a guy who's really cool, who has a tuxedo that does like cool stunts for him. And then the thing is the tuxedo, all the stunts of the tuxedo are like speed ramped, you know? So it's just like they move really fast. Yeah. So it all just looks fake. It doesn't even look like he's doing anything. And it's mostly just him like dancing alone. <laughs> it's the worst <laughs> movie it literally opens with a picture with a close-up of a deer peeing into a creek (laughs) and it's downhill from there Uh, that's so funny it's a 21 percent on rotten tomatoes and a 30 on metacritic and a 2.2 user score (laughs) Uh, that's really funny well uh jennifer love hewitt was in it um that that's all i'm so mad at you it's unbelievable how mad i am uh okay well i'm not gonna watch it but uh i'm glad you did now we don't have to do it on an episode of partial recall i never want to recall that movie ever again <laughs> it was the worst movie i'm so angry at you for making me watch it I did, I did. and i'm angry that you haven't watched yeah. it like you i i should have pretended that i liked it like i should have texted you be like Isha, i watched the tuxedo you have to watch it <laughs> yeah, that would have been a better idea because to be clear i did not force you to watch it or make you watch it that was entirely your own no you doing. said it was good you were like i that's that's definitely better than rush hour and as we discussed in the last episode you're like george washington you can't tell a lie except that you can well i don't uh, think george washington said that he can't like take a speculative guess no, he said that the tuxedo is horseshit. That's what George Washington said. <laughs> He's like, I didn't found this country so people could make movies like the tuxedo. Exactly. Uh, God, what a terrible movie. Anyway, uh, before that uh, very funny uh, segue, I just did want to point out that according to this website, take a gander can mean to venture a guess. So I was right and you were wrong. Fair enough. Fair enough. Anyway, this week we're talking about The Fifth Element. Why don't you tell us something about The Fifth Element? Uh, the Fifth Element. It's uh, it's directed by, who's it directed by? Luke Benson. Uh, <laughs> Luke Benson. <laughs> he sounds like... He sounds like a California surfer. Anyway, uh, it's directed by Luc Besson. Uh, the French title, uh, because he's French, is Le Cinquième Element, which uh, means the fifth element. Um, yep. Directed by Luc Besson, screenplay by Luc Besson and Robert Mark Carmen. I heard on a podcast recently that Encino Man, when it came out in the UK, was just called California Man. <laughs> Yeah, it just it made me laugh. It's just funny when movies have like they have to translate the title, but it's like you're not gonna like a neighborhood in California is gonna be your title. Yeah, that's very funny. Um, okay, okay. Uh, story by Luke Besson. So this is his his brainchild. It stars uh, Bruce Willis, Mila Jovovich, as uh, Andy just texted me uh, or us actually how it was pronounced. Uh, Gary Oldman, Chris Tucker. And Ian Holm. Uh, it was released on May 7th, 1997. Although that was the, f- the release date in France. I don't see the U.S. release date. But whatever. 97. Uh, a running time of 126 minutes. Um, it was a, I guess it was a French film, but it was an English language film. Like technically it was released. Uh, it was 
the studio was Buena Vista International, Gaumont, um, a $90 million budget and a box office of $264 million. That's obviously international because it's an international film. Um, big budget. It is a big budget. What had Luc Besson done before this? The movie he did before this was Leon the Professional, which I would say was a known movie, but I wouldn't say it was a huge movie. That movie made, yeah, 46. Uh, Leon the Professional had done, had. He made $46 million in the box office. Um, he, but I think it's one of those movies that it was like critically and commercially successful. Yeah. For a small budget movie. And you're like, hey, let's bump this guy up to a big thing. Right. He also did La Femme Nikita, which was. I've heard of it. Well known. Um, but no, I think this was like his kind of big. I don't even know I would say his big breakout because he hasn't like. Nothing he's done has like been enormous. I mean, that was a big movie. But then he's like Joan of Arc after that. A movie called Angel A. That's a French movie. I will say all of these movies have something very similar in common. Like La Femme Nikita, The Fifth Element, Joan of Arc. Like there's a trend there. Yeah. Based on my recollection of this movie anyway. Angel A, I think also uh, is probably has that kind of vibe. Then he did Taken. I didn't realize. And Leon the Professional is the one with Natalie Portman. Yes. That's yep. her first yep. performance, is it not? Yeah. yeah. And then uh, yeah. the guy who looks like Vladi Divac, whose name I can't remember. Jean Renault. Yeah. I didn't realize that he uh, directed Taken. Yeah. Why did I think that was John Collette Sarah? Did he do Taken 2? Do not know. Um, he's in a weird filmography. And then he got. He had sexual misconduct allegations. I'm excited for when we finally get to do one of these <laughs> that doesn't have that. Yeah. Too much Luke Besson talk. Uh, the Fifth Element. Uh, what do you remember about it? What do I... So I also remember that Chris Tucker is in it, is our connection to the movie. Yes. Uh, I remember at one point, I believe he wears like a big fur coat and screams really loud. Uh, shocker. Yeah. Uh, that's sort of his role in this movie is he's kind of like a loudmouth rich person. Uh, okay. Um... Do I remember seeing this movie as a kid? I feel like I saw this movie on television. Okay. Uh, do you remember seeing it? Yeah, I remember. Um, we didn't see it in theaters, but it was like a movie that we watched like as like a friend group on VHS, I guess. 97 DVD? Yeah, I think I saw it. I th- No, it would have been. Well, it could have been VHS. I, I would I, th- I think I just saw it on TV. Uh, and it was one of those movies where you like see it, you, like it's in the middle, you know, and you're just like, oh, I guess I'll keep watching this. Yeah. Uh, so here's what I remember. Bruce Willis is a cab driver. Mm-hmm. Mila Jovovich wears like a dress that's like white and it's like just straps that like wrap around her body. There's like four or five straps and there's like gaps between the straps. Yeah. I mean, the costume. Um, she the is movie. the fifth element. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Uh, and oh yeah, Bruce Willis is a cab driver, and the cab is a flying cab. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's all that I remember. Okay, <laughs> I remember. Those, so there's Gary Oldman three and Ian Holm. Gary Oldman is definitely a bad guy. I think Ian Holm also is. Basically, like there are bad guys who want to get the Fifth Element, aka Mila Jovovich, uh, to to do what? N- nothing uh, untoward. I don't think. I mean, probably, but I think. Mostly, like, there's she it, within her is some kind of power that they will use for evil and nefarious purposes. So, Gary Oldman had kind of like an emo, like, swoop of hair and like a little goatee thing. Um, 
and he he just really wants the fifth element and Bru- <laughs> what does that mean <laughs> there are so many more than five elements yeah okay i mean so okay a couple things number one this movie takes place uh in space it's a in space or in the future i think like it's on another planet the fifth element is boron does that do anything for your recollection no but we don't want to make this podcast no. too boron okay. so let's move on uh <laughs> Isn't that from Billy Madison? <laughs> That's chlorophyll, more like borophyll. Oh yeah, <laughs> you're right. Okay. Anyway, anyway, Sorry. okay. So I, I pre- I'm pretty sure it takes place on another planet. Maybe it's just a future United uh, United States. That's that's really uh, <laughs> speaks to what it's like to be an American. Uh, it's in the future. Everyone wears like freaky costumes uh, and like have flying cars. So yeah, Bruce Will. Okay, this is again my partial recall. Bruce Willis is a cab driver. I think Mila Jovovich like literally like falls into his cab or like either like she like literally like falls into his cab or um, he's driving her and people start chasing after her. And then he takes it upon himself to like protect her. Um, so he's kind of like. Does she at any point go like space taxi and like hail a cab? Is that a thing? Uh, no, I do think that Probably she not. is. You're saying she falls into the cab. I don't know. Maybe that's my guess. Um, I also think that she's like nonverbal, unless I'm confusing that with like, um, what's that Tom Cruise movie, Minority Report? Um, you know, with those, those. Oh, she has kind of a precog vibe. Yeah, Maybe yeah. that's the fifth element. Exactly. Precognition of crime. Yeah. So like, I think she's nonverbal and he's kind of just like taking around, protecting her. The bad guys are chasing her. Chris Tucker, I think to your, to your point is like a rich guy who like takes them in at, at some point and helps them. Um, and I just remember him wearing a big coat that's like a big fur coat with like a high collar. And he talks a lot and really loud. Yeah. I mean. Which, I mean, again, I remember that Chris Tucker's in the movie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Not that's, that that's basically it. Um, yeah. I mean, I, that's like the best I can recall. I think it's funny. I think there's good action. I think there's like a cool ending. Does anyone in this movie want to build a highway? Yeah, the fifth element is like a, basically a kind of a cement that will never break. So they really want to use the fifth element to just make a perfect highway that will always be smooth. For their flying car. Yeah, right. Right. What if the fifth element was just like uh, they needed like another tank of gas and they, they were just going to like melt her and look for one tank of gas for their flying car? Um yeah, that's. I think that's all. Uh, yeah, I we can do. really don't remember this movie. Do you remember liking it? As a yeah. Kid? So because I remember thinking it was super cool and like loving all the design mm-hmm. elements of it. Yeah, I remember really liking it for the same ish reasons I liked Valerian, which is that like it is a f- it's like fun, high concept. Like meaning, I, I, there's something about Luc Besson's sci-fi ish movies where they feel like bigger space epics but then there's like a real element of like whimsy and fun to them and not like a self-seriousness of maybe that's maybe that's the fifth element whimsy. sort of whimsy non-self-serious <laughs> yeah Mila Jovovich I mean let's, let's put the evidence she Jovovich sorry she has orange hair yep she's wearing a dress that's just white straps that's kind of whimsical yeah huh yeah Chris Tuck, Chris Tucker clearly very whimsical in this movie um yeah maybe he's the fifth element 
does everyone know that she is the fifth element or do they think that she's I feel like there's a there's a part of this where people think maybe she's carrying mm. the fifth element but that's like a men in black and then they realize that she is it's not like a men in black type thing like the galaxy is in Orion's belt and like it's like Orion the cat and uh, you know that just ruin our partial recall yes. from men in black when we eventually do it no I think everyone remembers that that movie is great. Yeah. I feel like there's some twist. I do think it's a twist that she's... Maybe the audience doesn't know that she is the fifth element the whole time. Should we look at the poster? Yes. It is the first image I sent you. It's extremely blurry. Uh, it's, it's Bruce Willis, the fifth element. Two thumbs up from Siskel and Ebert. It says something literally <laughs> illegible. This film this is film powered is, to explode. Primed to explode. Is primed to explode. This is this is the ride. Oh, ride! I thought it said this is the video. Does like, it say ride? It's like this, this is the video. <laughs> I also thought that that's what it said. Uh, and anyway, what we see here, we see the flying cab, and it looks like a like a yellow checker cab. I think we we knew it was future New York from the cab, right? Yeah. Uh, but um, the police are chasing him. Which is interesting because it implies maybe that uh, the bad guy, Gary Oldman, and he does have a soul patch there, is... Uh, the police. Which I know is probably in cahoots with the government. hard for you to stomach given how much you love the police as we talked about in the last episode. <laughs> it's true. I, it was weird. I don't know if you noticed when I looked at the poster, I immediately stood up and saluted <laughs> because of the police cars. You're going to have to edit this out to my microphone falling because uh, I did, you know, I just dropped it. So I <laughs> uh okay that's really it it's like floating heads in shadow uh yeah there's not not a ton we're learning from this poster that we didn't already know no except that this is the video (laughs) now we know i i do think i do think we're getting something from the police chasing him also yeah that it's not just it's not a purely bad guys like they're not purely bad guys they might be government right okay let's look at the vhs yes so it's the same so the front is exactly the same as the poster uh, but except the different, it's different a different quote. quote. It says Star Wars for the 90s. Which is weird because I would say Valyrian is far more Star Wars than this. But let's watch it and find yeah, out. Valyrian came out 20 years later. Correct. Um, it's the same poster as the, uh, on the front of the box. The side of the box is it's just the floating heads again. And then the back of the box. The back of the box has another quote. It says, a jaw-dropping, mind-blowing epic, astonishingly ingenious, exuberantly exciting, and brazenly hilarious. Ah, see? Hilarious. And we see what looks like a boat that's flying through the air, uh, which reminds me of Mortal Engines, which also was really good. Well. Uh, we see a blue lady kind of like like a, pre- swaying, like a precog. Like she's like at a, like a precog kind of, but like she's... Maybe at a Taylor Swift concert. She looks like she's having yeah. fun. Uh, we see Bruce Willis has a bunch of guns pointed at him by some alien-looking things. And we see Mila Jovovich in her, with her orange hair looking kind of scary. And her aforementioned And here's what it says. Ass. It says, oh yeah, that's right. New York cab driver Corbin Dallas didn't mean to be a hero, but he just picked up the kind of fare that only comes along every 5,000 years. A perfect beauty, a perfect being, a perfect weapon. Now together they must save the world. And then at the bottom it says, Bruce Willis, Miliovich, and Gary Oldman star in acclaimed director Luke Besson's outrageous sci-fi adventure. 
an extravagantly styled tale of good against evil set in an unbelievable 23rd century world, all aboard for a futuristic eye-popping adventure. Sounds good. Sounds really good. Um, so she gets into the cab just regularly from the, that description. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, here's my suspicion about back to like Luke Besson and the previous movies he made. I feel like Leon, the professional, gave him like the cachet to make his like dream sci-fi epic that he'd like been. So he like kind of like plugged along making like functional good movies that like stylish and sleek and then uh and then they were like cool like you've earned it now you can make this like mind-blowing sci-fi epic that you always want to make yeah uh i just found the australian box should i read the back of that crikey mate is that what it says it's what it's, i was gonna make the exact same joke <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> i literally teed up in my head the exact same joke uh, but the back of the box actually does give you a bunch more. So on the back of this box, there's there's symbols for fire, water, earth, and wind. So, you know, implying that that's what she's the fifth element of. Okay. It's like a Captain Planet And it says thing. every 5,000 years. Yeah, exactly. She's heart. Yeah. Every 5,000 years, a crack appears between dimensions. On one side lies the universe and all of its multitude of varied life forms. On the other exists an element not of earth, air, fire, or water, but of anti-energy and anti-life. This dark and powerful force of evil waits patiently at the threshold of the universe for an opportunity to extinguish all life and all light. Okay. Um, who was that presidential candidate uh, that was like really into crystals? Do you know who I'm talking about? <laughs> no. I'm Googling president candidate Marianne Williamson. <laughs> I'm like, I feel like this is what she genuinely believes. I literally just Googled the phrase president candidate crystals. <laughs> She's the first result. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what she like genuinely believes. She's like, we've got, I've got to be president so that when the, the fifth element, the anti-life element comes into existence, I can save the day. Um, yeah. I mean, so is the twist. Cause I'm pro-life. <laughs> Wait, just kidding. <laughs> Actually, don't, don't say that. One of our listeners is going to be really happy with your general attitude over these past two podcasts. <laughs> He said, and I quote, you need more of a Republican voice on your show. Yes. Yeah. And the point is, I think anti-life is a little bit of, a, yeah. of an unfair no, but, phrasing. We call it pro-choice in this house. Okay? But here's, That's, here's the question. Yeah. So I still think the bad guys are basically trying to get her to like do some destruction stuff. Whereas Bruce Willis is trying to keep, I was going to say, like, you think the twist is that like they're trying to like destroy her so she doesn't end the world and Bruce Willis like saves her and then accidentally ends the world that'd be pretty bleak i feel like there's an is it is it does she continue the world or does she bring us into like a paradise oh and then that cold play song starts playing which one yellow <laughs> yes <laughs> exactly you know because they say look at the stars the movie's set in space uh okay should we watch the trailer yeah let's watch the trailer yeah i feel like that was a fan trailer yeah because i was expecting there to be like in a world. It was a good trailer. It was a good trailer, but it wasn't like a very 1997 trailer. Um, uh, the movie looks amazing. It looks so good. So, number one, I was right. She falls into his cab. That was a good pull. Yep. That was uh, that was actually pretty impressive. I have to give you that. Um, number two, it does look more Star Wars-y than I originally anticipated. In, in 
Yeah, a lot of space. Yeah. I knew, I I remembered it being really spacey, which is why I was confused by like the New York City cab driver piece of it. But um yeah, it looks really good. The other thing that I think this is uh not a memory as much as a an inference is that okay, so when the planets are in eclipse, the four horsemen of the apocalypse basically come and like destroy the world. Gary Oldman, I think, is like trying to usher that in. And so he wants to stop Mila Jovovich from uniting the four elements to save the world, right? Is that... Uh, so she's the thing that everyone wants to save the world. And Gary Oldman, with his weird like crystal head and crazy haircut that you were 100% right yeah. about, uh, he's trying to stop that. He wants those... Because he likes the idea of the world. Yeah, ending. he wants those fiery skulls to do whatever they're going to do. Yeah, the fire skulls were cool, too. This movie looks so good. It looks really good. I, I was, like, watching the trailer, I'm like, is this going to be the best movie we've done so far? What I'm really excited about is that, like, it's it seems different than a lot of the movies that we've done in that I don't remember it that well, and I don't know that I was old enough, not old enough, I was old enough, but, like, I don't know that I would appreciate it as much then as I potentially am going to now. So for that reason, I'm, I'm pretty psyched about it. It looks really good. Yeah, what do you think you're going to give it? I think I'm going to give it a nine. Just because I'm now you've gotten my head about breaking the scale. Remember, like the first episode, I'm like, I'm giving tens to everything. Um, it looks really good. I think I am too, actually. I think I'm going to give it a nine. I think that this movie is going to be a genuine new scale nine. Yeah, agreed. Which puts it... Close to Jurassic Park. Yes. God, it is. Which is a genuine new scale 10. Right? Yeah. Like that's. Yes. I think we can agree now, given that this is our one year anniversary show, that Jurassic Park was the best movie we've done over the course of this past year. And Tomorrow Never Dies is a genuine new scale 4. So Tomorrow Never Dies, is that <laughs> what we're putting in? more the... rush hour slander. <laughs> but, but Hook has always been kind of like our, our joking floor for this. But Oh, no. Hook is a new scale 1. <laughs> <laughs> the scale is come at book. me bro <laughs> it's, that's insane by the way the scale is bookended by Spielberg films yeah it's his worst movie it's so bad <laughs> no it actually it actually isn't the worst movie we've covered uh, this is a this is a tease uh, the worst movie we've covered in my letterbox list of all the movies we've covered I think is actually The Three Musketeers I like The Three Musketeers <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, let's see. Let me double check. I feel like the Three Musketeers. Oh. It's been a journey this show. Yeah. I feel like the Three Musketeers was like in the midst of like a few really horny movies at once, and we were like, "Why are all these movies so horny?" It's it's fun grouping these things together. <laughs> uh, this movie seems very horny. Yeah. Yeah. When Mila Jovovich like falls into the cab and her like hand comes up against the the glass partition, it looks like that shot in Titanic. Uh. You know where, yeah, yeah, where the car is filled with steam from yeah. their sex. <laughs> uh, I got it. Um, the, oh, the other thing I was I was going to say about the trailer is that um, I think the reason I thought she was like, oh, that's the fifth element, sex steam. <laughs> uh, the other um, thing I picked up from the trailer that remember I said like she was like kind of like precogish. You see in the trailer like half the time she was like unconscious. That's I think why I was like uh, thinking that. Yeah, she has a sort of out of it vibe. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, this movie's going to be great. I'm super stoked. I'm really stoked. And uh, it'd be nice to revisit Bruce Willis. Pretty sad what's happening to him now. Uh, he looks really good in this. There was like a good, I mean, we can talk about the second half, but like 12 Monkeys was uh, and um, Pulp Fiction. He he had like a good run of like kind of like comedic sci-fi. I know that 12 Monkeys is like a favorite of I yours. I love 12 Monkeys. So good. We should do that. Maybe we'll do that next. Should we go from the fifth element to the sixth sense? Oh, and then... And then we can go to, like, seven. And then we can go to eight miles. We the whole, well, and then if we're we doing Bruce Willis with numbers. The, the whole, whole nine, nine yards, yards exactly. Yeah. Um, and then what's ten? The ten commandments. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. Now I have to put you on the spot. Can you recall all ten commandments? I'm not doing this. Without looking at <laughs> I think I can, but I'm not putting it on record uh, if I miss one. I love that joke, that Arrested Development bit. It's like, you shall honor thy father's life above thine own life. And like he says like that whole thing, and then Michael's just like, yeah, I'm not sure that one made it down the mountain. <laughs> um, anyway, I'm really excited to watch The Fifth Element. Um, I think I just think it's really good. And it's also like, I guess that's kind of the point of the show. It's like, We've seen so many movies and then like it's hard to like remember all of them. And then like sometimes you just like revisit a movie that you hadn't thought of in a really long time. And you're like, damn, this movie was really good. I'm glad I watched it. Uh, I feel like that's going to be this. Yeah. This one feels like one that that is going to be like that, where I would never have thought like, oh, I'm going to introduce my kid to the fifth element because it doesn't feel like it has a huge cultural footprint. Right. Although, again, three hundred million dollars globally. Um yeah, and, and someone made a fan trailer that we watched on YouTube, maybe. <laughs> that, no, because they had all of the uh, studio logos in the beginning. Oh, yeah, because a fan couldn't do that. Why would they? I don't know. All right, let's uh, go watch it. So last night, uh, I was, okay, for a little more context, I I, uh, I have, there's a number of bands that I like uh, that are playing here. And I was like, uh, you, know, you know, I'm old, but I, I like to uh, see live music and I still live in New York City, so I'm going to do that. So I went to see a band last week. Uh, and then last night, uh, Explosions in the Sky was playing here. You're going to go see them in London pretty soon, right? Yeah, November 8th, something. Uh, cool. Something like that. But they were playing like really far away in Brooklyn, like an hour subway ride, multiple subways. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to go. And then I decided I'm not going to go. I started walking to Trader Joe's, put in my headphones, put on Explosions in the Sky. I'm like, nah, I got to go to this concert. So I went to Trader Joe's, bought food, dumped it with my family. I'm like, you make this food. I'm going to Explosions in the Sky. I bought a ticket. I got like a $35 ticket to be like 10 rows back from the stage. It's like gorgeous, like a uh, theater. It was really nice. So I get there, I sit down, everything. I find a parking spot right in front of the theater. It was incredible. Uh, it was like the biggest stroke of luck. So I sit down, settle in. Band comes on. I'm like, this is great. This is a theater, okay? So this is like a seated, gorgeous, like theater. There's like an orchestra and a mezzanine and balcony and all this stuff. And then like, 
I'm five rows back in the in the orchestra section, and they're what they have like called like a pit, which is just like rows of chairs in front of me. So five more rows of chairs, and the people in the pit. I keep doing air quotes. This is a seated concert, but they're like, they they're like this is the pit, and they stood up and blocked everybody for like the first half of the show. And every time there's a quiet part of the concert, so like Explosion in the Sky, if you don't know. They're very, like, dynamic music. They have, like, really quiet parts and really loud parts. Every time there's a quiet part, like, while the band was playing, everyone would just be like, sit down! <laughs> and then the, the guys would turn around and be like, what? It's the pit. It's the pit. And everyone was like, what are you doing? <laughs> and it was, like, infuriating. So for, like, half the show. I will show, say, this is, like, a real old man take, though. No, it's not. Like, it's like, a how seated... dare you stand up at a concert? No, it's a seated venue. Like, so finally, the guy turns around and he goes... Go to the fucking opera. And then I wanted to turn around to him and go, We're in a literal opera house, you idiot. Uh, but, but the band is playing this whole time. So finally, in the middle of a song, security comes and makes everyone sit down. And the entire opera house bursts into applause mid-song after these people sat down. And then I could finally see the band. It was ridiculous. Genuinely, a really good uh, uh, usual bullshit for this movie. <laughs> yeah. Which also ends in an opera house. Oh, yeah. That's true. Uh, so they sat down. Uh, I enjoyed the rest of the show. Uh, God, so infuriating. Because, uh, like, I'm trying to enjoy the music and, like, I'm just, like, angry the whole time. Um, actually, I'll send you after this. I have, uh, I was just recording a part of a song I liked, and that's when the security intervened and everyone cheered. So I'll, I'll, Nice. I'll send it to you so you can hear it. Uh, I'm excited because Megan. I'm taking Megan to see Explosions. And this time it's appropriate for me to say I'm taking Megan to see it as opposed <laughs> to when I'm like, I'm going to make Megan watch this movie. <laughs> but I'm taking Megan to see Explosions. It's really funny because I actually got Explosions in the Sky tickets in D.C. for like three months after we started dating. But we were still working together at that time. And at the time, my boss also really liked music and explosions. And he came over to me and he's like, were you able to get explosions to get? I wasn't able to get. Uh And I was like, oh, yeah, I got two tickets. And then he said, oh, who are you going with? And I couldn't tell him that I was going with Megan because we were secretly dating. He was like, we had to report it to HR. Oh, I don't. I was like, I don't know yet. And he's like, can I come with Uh. you? (laughs) Wait a second. So I didn't get to take Megan. that's incredible. Why didn't you just yeah. say I'm taking? Like I'm going with Megan. She's like my coworker. I, I couldn't because we were secretly. Dating. Well, like, was that an big was that an HR thing, or you just didn't want like like meaning? Did you let's say a little from column A, a little from column okay. B? There was no like there was a problem. I didn't report to her, and she didn't report to right. me. Right, but uh, we actually both reported to this guy uh, Dan, who wanted the ticket. Did he? I'm, I assume uh, he found out at some point. Like this, this all came. Yeah, like, yeah, he found out. So after he left. Then we told him that we were dating. That's really funny. That's a great story. Uh, so Megan has never yeah. seen Explosions in the Sky. Megan has you, Megan's never you. seen them. She's going to hate it because it's so loud. Anyway, speaking of scared how loud it would be, uh, The Fifth Element. What? Okay, when did you watch the movie? I watched the first, how long was it? Like two hours? Whatever. Yeah, two hours, 20 minutes. Okay, like I watched that. the first hour 40 like a week and a half ago, and I finished it last night. 
Okay, well, let's see. Let's just get the runtime so we know this correctly. I mean, it's not that important. My point was I watched most of it except for the last 30 minutes. Two hours and six minutes. Okay, so I watched the first hour and a half uh, like a week In the last... ago, and then I watched the last half hour last night. I watched the whole thing like 10 days ago. Okay. So my memory of it is not... Oh, I was really hoping 100%. that you, you would be able to... Uh, Do you want to try but, it? But, yeah, yeah, I can try it. Okay. Uh, who'd you watch with? You watch by yourself. I watch by myself, although Shawnee watched the last 30 minutes with me. Because um, I also did the split. I did the split where like, I watched some and then I got really, really tired and fell asleep. And then the next day or two days later, watched the rest. Actually, it was the next day because I rented it. Oh, yeah. Uh, Megan watched the first half with me. Spoiler alert, she wasn't into it at all. Uh, not shocking. Shawnee watched uh, the last 30 minutes with me. She was watching. Okay, so what happens in this movie? Uh, it opens Egypt. Luke Perry is there. I loved this opening. For some reason. I, I loved the opening. I'm just, I, that's not a spoiler for how I ended up feeling about the movie. Uh, it, so yeah, it opens in Egypt. Um, we see like a stuffy archaeologist and his hot young assistant, Luke Perry, uh, doing some... Reading like the... Research. Re- They're reading the hieroglyphics. Yes. And they're like, there are four and... Well, one, and he's like discovering yeah, this yeah. whole apocalypse thing, and then a big. Um, uh, well, then the Egyptian like priest of, is like, "Oh no, he's discovering our secret." Oh yeah, and tries to that's kill right. Him. There's an Egyptian priest and a bunch of kids who are helping him. I like the little kid holding the mirror, yeah, yeah. shining the light yeah. on the thing. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, then there's an Egyptian priest who's helping them, who like clearly already knows all this. And stuff he's going to discover. He's going to kill the guy because he's he is discovering. He knows discovering too much. Too much. Yeah. yeah, and then anyway, these big turtle aliens show up. Uh, and they're like, you are failing or something? And they enter like a secret... Oh, no. The the scientist like discovers a secret room, right? He, uh, no. So basically, what happens is, as he's, a, he's... He wants to kill... Okay. He wants to kill the priest. Sorry. The priest wants to kill the archaeologist because he knows no, too the much. Priest, the priest then goes... But the archaeologist discovered something. He discovered the fifth element and that the world was going to end... He discovered, but he discovered the secret room, no? No. So then what happens is um, the, the aliens show up. Um, and then that's when the, the gag shows up where he's like, light. And then the alien ship beams in. They come in. They unlock the secret room. Um, Describe the aliens for the listener who maybe didn't watch the movie. They're like giant armadillos. metal armadillos. They're, they're like yeah. in metal and they move really slowly. They're huge. They're kind of derpy, um, yeah. I would say. Derpy is maybe the word. If you're online enough to know what that means. Yeah. So they Sorry, come, Megan. they take away the uh, the stones. And yep. they say... And they're like, you have done good work or something. Yeah. They're like really nice. Yeah, yeah, So basically, the aliens have vowed... To, there's an... Every 300 years... Uh, 3,000 years. Oh, okay. I thought it was 300. Some number... You think it's 300? Well, it was 300 years from happening... Certainly. Yeah. Yes, it was 300 years from happening, but it was like 5,000 okay. years or something. So uh, some evil force is going to come destroy the Earth or, or whatever, wherever life exists. And these aliens have committed to protecting life on Earth. So Got it. So, so the, the... Yeah, so they come down. And this is 1914. Yes. That's when this is. So the monks... And then the aliens leave and it says... 300 years later. Well, so basically the monks were basically also, there. Also, Luke Perry does not come back. No. So the monks, I was and he's shocked built. By this. Yeah. 
He's got like an and in the credits. Yeah. It's like and Luke Perry. He's in the first like four minutes of the movie yeah. as the archaeologist's assistant. It's a good bit. And he and shoots he, one of the aliens. But it doesn't mean No, it. nothing happens. Whatever. So basically, yeah. the, this, this sect of priests is like the keeper of these stones that are meant to like help save the earth. The aliens take it back. One of them gets trapped, whatever. Uh, and they goes, but what? They're like, you've done well. We're going to take these and we will send them back in 300 years when you need them. So yep. they fly away. Good. Then we scoot 300 years into the future. Then it jumps 300 years. We we start with Bruce Willis, who's like Corbin a Dallas. guy in Corbin, Dallas. He's in his apartment. He's got a sort of cool Blade Runner future apartment. Uh, I mean, it's really where he gets junky, like individual yeah. cigarettes. Yeah. Uh, and the cigarettes are weird. Like, everything is future. Like, I don't know if you noticed, but his cigarettes are, like, instead of being, like, 10% filter and 90% cigarette, oh, they're 90% filter and 10% cigarette. Okay. Uh, and, like, everything is just, like, sort of future and cool and whatever. And his mom is calling him, and she's, like, this super overbearing mother. Who's, yeah. <laughs> like, you don't call, you don't write. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she's the Jewish transformer for this week. No, just kidding. I have another one. Actually, I don't have it. Uh, and um, he's a cab driver and he's like behind on his debts and people want to kill him. He's also ex-military or something. And then separately, we also see the president of, I think, the U.S., but maybe the world. And he's being made aware of like some growing dark energy thing yeah. that's rapidly approaching the Earth. And they like shoot nuclear missiles into it and it just gets bigger. And then the modern then, day priest who's like continuing the lineage of the Egyptian priest shows up. He's like... I know what this is. Played by Bilbo Baggins himself. Oh, nice. Um, right? I, we've talked about how I've never seen those movies. Um, yeah, Bilbo Baggins. I thought that was yes, Elijah Wood. I'm correct. Isn't that Elijah Wood? Elijah Wood is Frodo Baggins. Oh, okay, sorry. Um, so he shows up. He's like, don't worry. The aliens are going to come with the stones and everything will be fine. The aliens, those like turtle armadillo aliens like fly in with the stones and immediately get attacked, and their ship gets blown up. And he's like... Right, by some really mean aliens. Yeah, some, like, really gross, wrinkly aliens. Well, those, don't those mean aliens, they want the stones, and they're working for Gary Oldman. Yep. But we don't know that yet. But yes. Yeah. So they blow up the ship, and, then, and he's like, oh, we're screwed. Like, we're all going to die. But then they find... Oh, but then they reconstruct... They get, like, one of their arms. So they... And they reconstruct them... In that machine, right? Yes. So they and that makes Mila Jovovich. Yes. And then covers her with the like five pieces of cloth. Uh huh. Exactly. And then they're like, she's in this container. She definitely can't get out. And then she punches through the container and punches a guy in the balls, and then escapes by running through the foil wall of the outer room and jumps out into the city. Eventually, through after an escape sequence, and then falls into Corbin Dallas's cap. Yes. And then the cops are like. Give us the girl, and he's like, "Sorry, you got to go." And but she's like beautiful, and he's a hopeless romantic, and and then he takes her to Ian Holmes's apartment. Yes. So basically, first he escapes from the cops, and like there's like this like kind of like flying car chase, and then he hides in this really bad area, and then she goes, "I need to go to a priest," and then passes out. She passes out a lot. I did say that in the first half of the movie, right? And then they go to the priest, <laughs> he knocks and on he's the like, priest. We're not here to get married or whatever. Yeah. Oh, he's like. Yeah, they go get married, chocolate weddings or somewhere else or something. Yeah, and then he's like, she speaks this language, and she's like, oh my god, this is the fifth element. Or, yeah, this is the fifth element. Right. Um, he kicks Corbin Dallas out. Well, first Corbin Dallas, like, uh, kisses her, and then she's like, never without my permission. And he's like, 
Yeah, that sounds right. And then uh, yeah. he gets kicked out. Um, and then goes... Do you think Luke was on, not to be inappropriate, but do you think he used this movie as proof? He's like, look, I wrote uh, Never Without My Permission. <laughs> like, I understand positive consent, obviously. Yeah. Uh, Despite the fact that at the time of this movie, uh, I was married to the opera singer and then started dating Mila Jovovich. Is that true? Uh, yes. And then they separated. Oh, no. Uh, and also, I need to double check this, and I'm going to say it, but if I double check it and it turns out not to be true, you have to edit it out. Uh, I believe the opera singer and he, they had a child, and they'd had the child when she was 16. When who was so That's six- also interesting. Who was 16? The, the opera lady? Yeah, not the baby, obviously. No, I thought like maybe like Mila Jovovich. Um, uh, no, the opera lady. Was she uh, like... Let me double check that feet, I got that correct. Was she 10 feet tall in real life, or was that just a costume design? Just a costume. Um, she was mar- she married Luke Besson in 1992 when she was 16 years old. Uh, and he was... Please tell me he was like 17. <laughs> Weirdly, that was his second wife. Oh, no. And he was... Okay. Oh, no, not okay. Sorry. <laughs> 33. <laughs> I, oh, I did no. the math wrong for a second. And I was like, 23, it's pretty bad. He was 33. Ay, ay, Luke. You hate to see it. You do li- uh, you literally hate to see it. Um, okay. That's okay. that's a big yikes. Anyway. Okay. So then, Mila Jovovich is with the priest. Uh, um, when does Gary... Corbin Dallas... Uh, right. So then he goes back to his apartment, and then the military's like, Corbin, we, we need you yes. to... Fix this for us. I don't know why. Hold on. Gary. Okay. So basically they need to. Rec- I mean, Gary Oldman's an arms dealer. They need to recover the stones. <laughs> okay. Here's what I'm going to do. Gonna- I'm going to explain to you why it is impossible for us to recap the plot of this movie. How old was Luke Besson when he wrote this movie? I assume now he's going to be like eight years old. He was 16. So he was, at that age, old enough to marry his second wife. Right. (laughs) Oh, my God. Um, And so it makes sense that this movie is, plot-wise, incomprehensible. Yeah. So the original version of the script, which he started when he was 16, obviously didn't make this movie until much later, but um, uh, he, the original version of the script was, different accounts I've read, either 300 or 400 pages. Oh, my God. So the final script's 120 pages, and it's written by a teenager who's basing it off of the comic books and the art styles that he likes. Because uh, as a 16-year-old, it's pre-Star Wars. That's actually sort of interesting. Oh, interesting. He started writing this Before pre-Star Star Wars. Wars. Uh, so he's influenced by all these French comics, and you see that in, in some of the production design. But anyway, like, yeah. this movie doesn't make any... It's almost impossible. I remember what happens. Okay. Okay. The priest has the fifth element, but he needs the stones. He remembers that Gary Oldman showed up looking for the stones a couple months ago. Okay? That's right. So he goes to see Gary Oldman. Uh, They have a bit of a showdown. Gary Oldman realizes uh, that he doesn't have the stones because the aliens who blew up the ship cut the bag, but the bag was empty. Then... uh, Lilu tells them that they the, the stones were never on the ship because they they expected something like this to happen and they put it somewhere safe uh, with the opera singer. So now 
The alien. Right. So now they know they have to get Corbin Dallas and Leeloo to so the. Opera. Everyone wants to get to the opera because basically Gary Oldman wants the stones. The uh, ugly alien guys uh, who are really stupid, and Gary Oldman calls them really stupid, are like, "We're going to get the stones, and we're going to make Gary Oldman pay for calling us stupid." Um, the military wants the stones because they want to like save the world. And the priest wants the stones because he wants to save the world in his way. And then Corbin Dallas is is made to go recover the stones via the military because he was the best uh, pilot fighter and also right. the only one who's still alive. And, and then the military gets him into the opera, literally the only way that the U.S. government could possibly do it, by rigging a contest <laughs> hosted by Ruby Road. Yeah. Ruby Rod? Ruby Road? Ruby Rod. Um... The, I'm gonna say it, best character in the movie. Yeah, he's great. Uh, he's basically like a pansexual Twitch streamer. <laughs> yeah, that actually uh, is really uh, prescient. I would say his character seems like spot on. Like yeah, uh, and he's just literally just like narrating and yelling his whole day. Yeah, <laughs> and he has like hangers on who do everything he says. He's so good. Uh, and just say yes to everything he says, and he's like got this crazy character. Who's super over the top, uh, and he has this game. He has this this contest where you get to go to the opera with him, uh, and Corbin Dallas and Lee Lu get to go. Well, so the Lee Lu's his plus one, I guess. Yeah. So basically, the no, Lee, he wasn't supposed to go with Lee Lu, uh, or, or everyone wanted his ticket, right? I don't think the military even wanted him to go with Lee Lu, but he then the priest wanted to bring Lee Lu, and everyone was trying to steal his ticket, and then he ran into her at the. Uh, I don't think... He, was she not supposed to go with Yeah, him? because basically the priest knocked him out, took the ticket, brought her to the airport, and then he shows up, takes her instead. But then also everyone keeps being like, I'm Corbin Dallas, and trying to... Uh, oh, that's a funny Gary He's Oldman. also already inside at that yes. point. Yes. So basically... Uh, okay, so then so they, they go, go to this opera, which is on a yacht, which is like a space yacht that's overlooking like a water planet. And then there's this blue opera lady... In the first half, I suggested that she looked like she was at a Taylor Swift concert. And then during the movie, I noted that she's not at a Taylor Swift concert. She is. She is a Taylor yes. Swift concert. Including Taylor uh, Swift's also really tall. Um, so And blue? Yeah. Secretly? So, I mean, this part it can go pretty fast. right? Basically, Gary Oldman shows up, steals the bag, tries to kill Lilu, plants a bomb, um, <clears throat> flies away with the stones. Except, again, he, thinks. he doesn't have the stones. In the meantime, the aliens, like, start shooting everyone up looking for the stones, uh, including the opera singer. Lilu's gone, by the way. She got, like, shot in the vents by Gary Oldman. She's hiding in the vents. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Corbin Dallas is sitting in the opera. The The aliens are shooting everyone, including the opera singer. Everyone is really into this opera. Yeah. She's supposed to be really is... good. Um, she she also starts like beatboxing. The second half of the yeah. opera is like she's like wah, 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 wah. it's wah, weird. Wah, 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 wah. It's weird. But basically, she was like the pro- it's like halfway to my jar jar impression. <laughs> she was the protector of the stones. He takes the stones, kills a bunch of aliens. Gary Oldman comes back as Corbin and and Lilu and Ian Holm leave, and then blows up from his own bomb. That the aliens do end up getting him. Um, then they fly to the temple. They're like, we got it. Except, like, the thing is about to, like, crash into the earth. And they don't know how the stones work because Lilu continues to be always unconscious the entire movie. Um, 
And then they realize that they have to do unto the stone what the stone represents. So like... As the stone did unto you? Yeah. So like they blow on the windstone and they light a fire on the firestone and they put earth in the earthstone and then all those things unite. And then Lilu's like, I'm too weak. I can't do it. And the asteroid's like flying at them. And, and then he's like, you have to. And she's like, why? He's like, because... And she's like, why? He's like, because. And Ian Holmes like, tell her. And he's like, because. And the asteroid's getting closer. He's like, because. And it happens like 50 times. <laughs> and finally he's like, because I love you. And then he kisses her. And then all the beams unite within her. And she beams upward out of the temple and stops the meteor 60 yards from Earth. And it becomes like inert and dead. And, uh, and it goes away. It doesn't just stay there. No, it does. Forever? I mean, I don't know forever, but like they just show it as like kind of like a black charred ball floating in space. Um, that was the okay. end. And then uh, Corbin and her get back into like the rejuvenation thing and, and do it. Um, rejuvenation. <laughs> nice. They zoom into the pod and there's like a weird like blue lighting and they're like having sex and like it ends on like a blue freeze frame of them having sex it's very weird you don't turn on a blue light every time you have sex is that not how that works um so that's the movie the fifth element uh what did you think so this goes back to uh the last episode so i just recap you thought you were gonna give a it a nine. nine you thought you were gonna give it a nine as well right i also thought i was gonna give it a nine we reset in between yeah we did our full recap like our full re-ranking so on the new uh, scale I would give this a six. Which means elements you like. Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't fully work. I actually think it benefited from my split watching because I thought the last 30 minutes were actually great. Um, I just thought it got a little... Well, this is what I was saying in the last po- in the one-year anniversary podcast where I was saying, like, maybe I just don't like movies. That was a thought I had when I was watching it because I was like, I was so excited for this. And, like, it was so... Like, there were elements I thought were great, but it just didn't all come together for me. Um, I can get into why. I'm at a six are, also. Yeah, okay. You're in a I'm at a six also, and it's it's the same thing, where it's like there are elements that I thought were great, uh, but it didn't all come together. And, like, remember you were ragging on Demolition Man because you're like, the action's not that good? Yeah. Compared to this, the action of Demolition Man is amazing. Yeah. There's not a ton uh, of, of great action here uh the action here there's some really cool explosions in that final sequence like the final sequence is definitely the best sequence but everything in this movie looks amazing like there's a as i think about individual elements of the movie i want to give this movie a seven or an eight yeah i agree like just like the the imagery that sticks with me and i i I read roger ebert's review and that's basically what he said he's like i'm not at all surprised that this movie is written by a teenager but I also can't get away from the fact that, like, and this is not a quote, but he's like, I can't get away from the fact that when I watch the movie, like, I'm seeing things I've never seen before in anything. Like, it's just a totally unique thing. Uh, and, like, visually spectacular and all of that. And I'm like, you can't really argue with that. The movie looks, doesn't look like anything else. Yeah. The thing that I'm realizing about these, like, really big, ambitious, original sci-fi movies so like i mean we've we've long debated um jupiter ascending uh great movie and like i can't believe you like valerian and don't like jupiter ascending uh, valerian is much better um but yeah valerian jupiter ascending this uh the new Zack snyder movie 
you you got to swing for the fences when you make these movies. And if you do, there's going to be stuff that just misses. I th- yeah, this, yeah, and the weird thing is that I think the thing that's most likely to miss is the thing that completely hit for both of us. In, in this movie in particular? Yeah, which is Ruby Red. <laughs> yeah, he was great. Who, by the way, was supposed to be Prince. That makes so much sense. I should have made but that Chris a quiz. Chris Tucker was Like, I should have phenomenal. asked you who it was supposed to be. Yeah, Chris Tucker's perfect, but it was originally Prince, and you're like, oh, okay. As Prince, it actually doesn't even feel prescient. It just feels like, oh, okay, well, that's, that's just Prince. like future Prince. Right, right, right. <laughs> uh, that's true. <laughs> um, uh, you know, he was great. Um, Bruce, I mean, Bruce Willis was fine. I, I really don't understand why, like, Mila Jovovich was, like, so... I found her character, like, annoying. She was either, like, passed out or just, like, uh, like whispering things like she was never like I know she's not normal because she's not like a human but like I, I just not like an engaging character it's true there were elements of it that I thought were interesting like the when she's she's learning all about humanity on the computer and she's going through the the encyclopedia basically in alphabetical order the matrix right and she's just yeah basically right she's just learning everything really really fast that uh, is the matrix and uh when she went to fight everyone she did the she did this thing like the come and get me oh yeah i'm like all right they clearly borrowed so borrowed they, that yeah well did the matrix borrow yeah yeah this came out before the matrix yeah uh but then she says to corbett she's like he's like what letter did you get up to and she's like v and he's like some very good words in v v and i'm like is he gonna say vagina <laughs> And then he just says very beautiful, which is like the level of writing of the movie. Yeah. She like, there are like, no good words in yeah. V. I'm sorry. <laughs> she because she she was his like manic pixie alien goddess. Um but I just Right. Well and that that actually they make it explicit, which is my least favorite part of the movie, where his mom's like, When are you gonna meet a girl? And he's like, I've just never met anyone Oh, he's also like divorced, right? Yeah. He's like, I've never met anyone who has as perfect enough or whatever, and then it's like the perfect woman falls through his cabin. He's like, "You're the perfect woman. You literally can't talk and don't understand English and are half naked. Yeah. Like that's what makes her perfect. It's a little it's weird, icky. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, I mean, the the author married a sixteen year old, so uh. it's true. And he was sixteen when he wrote it. Um, but uh, what else? The costumes are amazing. Yeah. So the costumes were all designed by Jean Paul. Gaultier, I don't know exactly how to pronounce his name, but he's like a famous that sounds familiar. French designer. Uh, let me tell you one second. Uh, Jean-Paul. Uh, he's a, yeah, he's a famous designer. Uh, he designed for Hermes for a long time, according to Wikipedia. Uh, but he designed all the costumes in the movie, and apparently, like, in that scene in the opera house where there are, like, 200 extras... He not only designed every single one of those costumes, he was on set apparently checking every extra before they went on camera to make sure that their look fit what he wanted. That's pretty intense. And like, he was spending like hours and he was, and uh, according to Luke Poisson, like there wasn't a single extra whose outfit he didn't change at the last minute, like adjusting a braid or changing out a hat or like giving him different stuff, which was, it's, it's, you see the attention to detail totally. in the movie. Right, like everyone is just doing the craziest version of the thing that they can do with a very specific vision, really intently, and that is what works for me about the movie. And it was good. Six. Yeah, it was interesting. Is like I was thinking about like the stuff. So, uh, should I give it a six and a half? New score, where it's like 
I liked it. You're doing halves now? Well, let's see. Oh, you're right. <laughs> you are correct, sir. Uh, um, six would put it uh, on par with... No, see, six would put it on par with Ninja Turtles and Star Wars Episode One, and below the Mighty Ducks for me. And for you, it would put it with the Three Musketeers, Jumanji, Rush Hour, and Demolition Man. Yeah, that sounds right. How do you think it compares to Demolition Man? I think pretty similar. I think... I think... Very similar, right? They're both, like, action sci-fi movies that have, like, strong comedic overtones. Well, funny thing about that also is apparently Sylvester Stallone wanted to be in this movie... Oh, interesting. And it was like annoying to Luke Besson because he's like, Sylvester Stallone is a big star and the studio is going to want me to use it, but he's all wrong for the movie. That's funny. What, to play uh, Corbin Dallas? Corbin Dallas. No, he wouldn't have been that uh, good. Besson wanted either Bruce Willis or Mel Gibson. Hmm. Well, he made the right Which, choice. Which, I mean, would have worked also, actually. Yeah. I mean, um, putting aside all of the, yeah. everything else about Mel Gibson. <laughs> Anything else? Okay, so the only other thing really interesting uh, research-wise is this was, at the time, the most expensive European production ever made. Uh, it cost $90 million. Um, $90 million. And you were actually pretty spot on in the first half. You said, like, I could see this being sort of his passion project, and then he did Leon the Professional, and that maybe got him the cachet to make it. And that's pretty much exactly what happened. He started working on this when he was a teenager, as we discussed. He always had it. He had brought it to a production company, and they were like, maybe if you can do it at a small budget... And that was after his like first feature, and then he kept making, and then he eventually made Leon, and they were like, oh, that's a big hit. We can try something with a bigger uh, budget, and they got co-financing from someone in like, Columbia, I think. Columbia's on this movie, right? The lady with the torch? Oh, I don't remember. Uh, and I can check that. Well, maybe I can't check that. But anyway, uh, then they got it done. Uh, there's one really good quote I read from the the producer, um, the guy who was running the production house. I guess he was running the production house. I don't know exactly what his role was, but he was, like, in charge of getting all the... He was, like, the executive producer, I guess. Okay. Um, and uh, his name was... Yeah, Patrice Ledoux was the producer. He's the produced by credit. Uh, but he has this great quote, which I don't understand, um, where they handed over the reins to veteran line producer Ian Smith. Uh, so he hired him after first meeting him in Costa Rica, who he was working on the production of some of the movie. Okay. <clears throat> Here's the quote as to why he hired him. Ready? Why do you think he hired him? Uh, I don't know. Okay. I came to supervise production and he served us chicken with mint. This is in Costa Rica. And I thought, if this guy can get us chicken with mint in central Costa Rica while shooting this film, he's the right guy for us. <laughs> I mean, is there a scarce, is there, criteria. Is there a scarcity of mint in Costa Rica? That's what I was wondering. <laughs> why? Why is that impressive? Mint in Costa Rica? I could do anything. Um, um, one other thing I thought was interesting, which you actually notice in the movie, if you really think about it, um, Gary Oldman and Bruce Willis never filmed together. Yeah, uh, and they shared no scenes in this movie. Do they dislike each other? Were they? Was it like a rock? No, nope. uh, it's just a thing? weird production. A weird production thing. They just. We're never there at the same time. I guess that makes sense plot-wise in that they were never really at that much of cross-purposes. Like, it was more like The Priest and, and Gary Oldman. Um, like, Bruce Willis was really just, like, in love with Lilu, and, like, that was kind of his, like, motivating factor. Yeah, it was pretty... Yeah, I'm sticking with the six. The six is my... Pretty flimsy. I did think um, early... 
when I first started watching the movie, I was thinking about the Star Wars comparisons, and I was like, this does not seem like Star Wars. But like, I would say the first like half hour had kind of like Star Wars ish vibes. Um, like I could see that, but then like I just think it gets too too goofy. Uh, I know Star Wars has. Well, what's interesting comedy. is there is there is some stuff that becomes Star Warsy, right? So like. The flying cars and the space cab look very similar to the flying cars in Coruscant in Attack of the Clones. There is also literally a space cab in Attack of the Clones uh, on Coruscant. They look kind of similar. I feel like design elements from Fifth Element were stolen for Star Wars later. Right. The other way around. Interesting. Um, But yeah, I think it's more of a, it's kind of a space opera. Yeah sci-fi like it's more generic than that yeah anyway the last thing i'll say about the movie and then we can we can wrap it up uh i really liked the um the thai food boat that came to his was it thai food the, when when he the, the the flying boat restaurant that parked outside of his window and was making him food oh yes that was great that was I so would love cool to have that. yeah i would love to have that it's incredible so the, just, the, thing that's, the other thing you need to know about the movie, if you're going to go in and watch this movie, because we have to decide if it's canonical, but if you're going to go and watch this movie, you have to remember this is a B movie. So like my first few notes, and I didn't immediately realize this, but my first few notes are like, wow, that guy's a bad actor. Oh, wow, Luke Perry's a bad actor. Oh, wow, the president's a bad actor. And what's actually happening is they're acting at the level of this movie. Like maybe that's also bad acting. Right. But it's, whether it's intentional or not, like it is meant to be a goofy Correct. Similar thing. to Gremlins. The way that the, that the... Yes, except the acting in Gremlins is amazing. <laughs> Everyone acts perfectly. No, but they're acting uh, over the top. Like, they're acting like they're like in like a commercial, as opposed to like a real... Like, it's that kind of like, oh, Billy, hello! Like, it's like that kind of like, you know... Right, that's true, right. Um, the president in this movie is a bad guy in another movie. I'm not quizzing you because I don't remember... Um, uh, let's look it up. Look it up. Look it up. Tiny Lister, Tommy Lister Jr. He was a he was a wrestler. I feel like he was like in like a movie, like a prison movie. He's in the Dark Knight. He's the prisoner that holds the bomb. He's the one who throws. Oh yes, the, yep. He throws the thing the in the thing water. Out the window. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So he's actually a good guy. I knew he was a prisoner. Uh, he was reformed. Yes. He was like, I'll do it. Yeah, that was a great scene. Um, uh, right. So I, I have here a note. Uh, I remember, I was right that Chris Tucker yells a ton. I did not remember that he explicitly goes down on a flight attendant. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, da, 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 da. Right. So, so I actually wrote down what she says. She says, the stones are in me. And then Bruce Willis goes, the stones are in me. What could that mean? And it literally just means they're in her. Like, yeah. It's not a riddle. He reaches in. Uh, there's a gun. When he has the gun turret and he's like shooting everybody. Uh, it, I just, my note just says that the gun turret looks like it's from American Gladiators. Uh, which it does. I liked when he kept telling uh, that guy to throw him the gun. And the guy threw him those balls <laughs> instead. That was pretty yeah. The deaf guy. <laughs> it was funny. Like it was funny throughout. It was, uh, it was pretty good. It was, funny. I mean, it was not good, but six. Not in the canon. Not in the canon. My kids are not in the canon. My kids do not need to Stamps. see this movie. Not in the canon. Yeah. Okay, let's do some of our other bullshit. Uh, do you have a film Twitter corner, or should I start with oh, I Jewish don't. Transformers? I don't have. A, uh, maybe I do. Let's start with Jewish Transformers. 
Okay, so Jewish Transformers. You've heard of the Transformer called Jazz? Okay. Well, have you heard of the Transformer called Klezmer? Oh! (laughs) That's really good. Well done. Oh, man, yours are so much more imaginative than mine. Uh, You want to hear mine? Yes. (laughs) Have you heard of the Transformer called Laserbeak? He's Jewish. Yep. Because he isn't. <laughs> That's it. He's a giant nose. That's what they call him, laser beak. <laughs> uh, that's good. Uh, uh, yeah. That's it. Okay. Um, I just crossed Klesmer off of my list. <laughs> very good. Uh, I only saved one other film twitter and it's another ahsoka thing i don't want to like really rag on this too much but okay uh it's a picture of ahsoka and darth maul and it says friendly reminder 17 year old ahsoka defeated 35 year old darth maul in his prime on mandalore that has nineteen thousand likes i mean that's literally the the backstory of luke Besson's marriage to the opera singer (laughs) (laughs) that's true um (laughs) I guess my my thing about uh, bookmarking all these tweets, and again, I don't want to like make fun of anybody, but like people take this so seriously. She's not real. Yes, she didn't really def- like. They wrote her character. <laughs> <She didn't. laughs> like, the jury explaining to our audience, like she's not real. But like Darth Maul, they just not a real person. <laughs> they just wrote a character, and they were like, "Hey, when she was seventeen, she beat Darth Maul," and they're like. She was 17, guys. Darth Maul was in his prime. It's like, yeah, man. Like, that's just how they wrote the story. Uh, but also, you don't even know that Darth Maul was in his prime. Maybe 35 is over the hill. And, and in wherever Spike head guys are from. And I would say this picture of him that they show, he does not look like he's in his prime. He looks uh, way uh, heftier. He looks more like the Night King. Yeah, than, he's, uh, he's long in the tooth horns. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, that's all. That's all I got. I'm going to try to divert. Also, I mean, when I was 35, I was definitely not in my prime. My prime was when I was like 12. Yeah. I, I'm, yeah, we're certainly past our prime. I, I guess we, I can <laughs> I'm just doing the opera. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally like, it's something like that. I think that's actually what it is. Um, yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, yeah, it was a six. Okay, so it's your choice. Uh, what movie are we doing next? Uh, long-time um, uh, recall heads will know if they listened to the post-credit uh, <laughs> um, uh, snippet that I included at the end of the Star Wars episode that uh, we were supposed to do um, Die Hard 2 off of Samuel L. Jackson, but... Uh, who's not in that movie. Turns out he's not in that movie. You know, who is in that movie... Bruce Willis. We are bringing it back. We're doing Die Hard 2 next. I like that we're starting with Die Hard 2 instead of Die Hard. I mean, Uh, if the premise of this show is like movies from our childhood that are meaningful, it was more meaningful to me than Die Hard 1. So I can think of a few examples of things like that. Like Terminator 2 also, I think, is the one that I more remember from my childhood. Definitely. Versus Terminator, uh, Aliens versus Alien. Yeah. Uh, There are a couple examples of that. Uh, but yeah, Gremlins 2 versus Gremlins. 
Uh, that's probably true for me as well. A teenage <coughs> no, Ninja Turtles: The Secret I of the Ooze. Citing you. Yeah. No, for sure. So I think that maybe we could discuss that. Why? Why? I mean, I think the answer is because they came out when we were old enough to watch them. I don't think it's like yeah. incredibly deep, but well, also it's also I think when you look at um, sometimes the thing that people don't like about sequels is the thing that makes sequels work for children, which is like they take the things that worked well and they just repeat them, right? And kids kind of like repetition and they like the things they like. They're like, yeah, I want chicken nuggets every meal, and adults are like, I just had chicken nuggets the last time I watched Die Hard. I want something new if I'm going to the movies. And kids are like, chicken nuggets again? But more? Great. Sounds exactly like my kid. And everyone's kid. Because that's how kids work. Yeah, um, yeah no, that Except makes my sense. my kid likes olives. Uh, fancy. Pretty good, actually. That's very fancy. She's very refined. Uh, cool. All right. Die Hard 2. I'm excited to revisit it. Pew, pew. Woo, 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 woo.